Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. Well, after an amazing summer of Olympics and Paralympics, which led to a rather impressive stash of gold, silver and bronze for Team UK, the last week or so has seen the news spotlight turn to the amazing team player, Emma Raducanu. She's been a bright light in the middle of a, a load of fairly depressing headlines as we watched nervously the unfolding events with the Taliban taking over Afghanistan and then closer to home rapper Nicki Minaj coming under fire from England's chief medical officer Chris Whitty over her online comments about vaccination. Oh, and then US President Biden got into hot water this week when he appeared to forget the Australian Prime Minister's name during a video conference. He referred to Scott Morrison as that fellow down under after addressing Prime Minister Boris Johnson on first name terms. Awkward. But then there's Emma. What a comeback story. Just a few months ago, she had to withdraw from the fourth round of Wimbledon due to some breathing difficulties. She was down, but not out. And she came roaring back to win the US Open, her first Grand Slam title in New York with a 6-4, 6-3 win over Leila Fernandez in Saturday's final at the Arthur Ashe Stadium. And that's really big news because Emma is the first British female to claim a Grand Slam win in 44 years. One journalist said that Emma and young athletes like her are role models for the world, modelling strength under pressure, maturity, humility, character traits that the middle-aged and beyond should have had nailed down. So tonight, here on Lucas on Life, it's lessons from Emma. We're thinking about some lessons from the fabulous success of young Emma Raducanu. Just how did she do it? Those around her would say that a lot of her success is down to focus and discipline. Her former youth coach, Simon Dardy, says that she shows athleticism, concentration, good technique and great tactical understanding. But she concentrates, he says, on the details. She was never late for sessions and it's been clear that she's been raised with discipline ingrained in her. It's discipline that turns aspiration into reality. And that's something that I've been trying to work on for quite a while now, actually about 20 years. It was about two decades ago when I made what I thought was the final decision. I am not an athlete, I concluded, and so physical exercise would not be part of my life. I would eat sensibly, drink moderately, but my ever-increasing shadow would not darken the doors of a gym. Those who worked out, I decided, were not mere mortals like me. And Olympic-level competitors and tennis champions like Emma, they were demigods, epic souls to admire, but impossible to emulate. This anti-fitness choice came after careful consideration of extensive data, like the fact that bending over to tie up my shoes took my breath away. And I had a long history of being rubbish at anything remotely sporty. I still blush crimson when I remember playing football during high school. Despite being placed in the defensive position of left back, I enthusiastically dashed all over the field for the first five minutes of the game until our irate and unnaturally chiselled sports teacher blew his whistle and, punctuating his question with swear words, asked me what on earth I was playing at. I had no defence, literally. Seeing as I was offside at the front of the field instead of being dutiful at the back of the field, 
I knew back then that I'd never be able to bend anything like Beckham or serve a volley like Emma. I hated rope climbing, mainly because I couldn't ever climb a rope. It's a shame because apparently rope climbing was an Olympic sport until 1932, and it is threatening to make a comeback. Even though I was moved when I read about the gold medal winning performance of Olympian George Iser, who won the rope climbing event in 1904 and did it with just one wooden leg, I knew that even with two legs of my own, I'd be hopeless and I'd come last in the cross-country run and complain that oxygen was not provided. I was pretty good at cricket when it came to keeping score, not playing. And so all of this led me to conclude if sedentary living became an Olympic activity, I might stand a chance at victory, but until then, I had no hope. But then I joined the local gym. I paid the joining fee, and now I have a weighty direct debit hitting my account every month, hard evidence indeed of my athletic ambitions. I decided I had to do something. My belt was running out of expansion holes, and not only were my feet disappearing behind my expanding waistline, but small animals were found taking shelter beneath the shadow of my belly. And I was getting breathless every time I opened my Bible. A page flip from a gospel to an epistle was okay, but turning from the Old Testament to the New really taxed me to the limit, and I knew that the use of a large concordance might actually take me out. My physical exercise was limited to building up the muscle of my right arm as a result of lifting cheeseburgers to my mouth. Something had to be done. And so I donned my ancient sports gear, which was probably in fashion when Roger Bannister was at his peak, and headed for the torture chamber for my evaluation. It was there that a grim-faced instructor with a permanent who's been a naughty boy then expression made me run on a treadmill, puff into what looked and tasted like a vacuum cleaner hose, and passed a few watts of electricity through my frame in order to measure my body fat. The result proved that just about everything except my toenails was in fact top quality lard. And so he prescribed a rigorous daily routine that would turn me into Bruce Willis, courtesy of stepping machines, rowing contraptions that bite your shorts when you push back, and a demonic bike which is always pointed uphill. And so I now have the key to a hard body, and I'll let you know how it goes. But when it comes to discipline, thinking about fitness, Olympics, tennis, I realise that I have to have discipline in my spiritual life, because for some reason, I'd like to believe in effortless maturity, development and growth without cost, resolve or decision. I confuse salvation, which is mine without cost to me, through shed blood, with sanctification, which demands purposeful discipline. Holiness is surely the culmination of a thousand choices. Paul the Apostle told his disciple and friend Timothy to train himself for godliness. The word train in the Greek is gymnase. Sound familiar? Yes, that's the root word for our word gymnasium. He's letting Timothy as well as us know that maturity isn't automatic. We need to get down to the gym, as it were, and embrace grace-inspired discipline without legalism if we want to sport some spiritual muscles. And I'm also wondering, have I hoisted a white flag of surrender and sentenced myself to a sentence of sameness? 
getting down to the gym and thinking about spiritual discipline has really challenged me. Have I unwittingly decided that like the proverbial leopard, I could never change my spots? I mentioned a thousand decisions earlier and we all make endless decisions, most of them subconsciously, about what we can and cannot do. And we can write ourselves off from possibility and potential. Where have we decided that everything might change, but we can't? Have we succumbed to that innocuous habit pattern, which is more annoying than perilous, or the silent stalking of addiction, which doesn't send us an email to announce that we're trapped in its grasp? It's official. We are now addicted. And so we don't pray because we think we can't pray. And we don't risk because we think it's not in our nature. And we don't learn a new skill because we've decided it's too late. And so often we're quite wrong because some things that we think we can't do can be done. Emma had to retire from Wimbledon because of breathlessness. There was great concern just a few months about her. But then she decided, having fallen, if you will, to get up again. And how she came back, we can come back too. Emma Raducanu, amazing success in the US Open. What lessons can we learn? We can admire what she's done, but surely there are lessons for our lives too from her journey. One of her coaches said that the interesting thing about Emma was that she really held eye contact when she was being taught. She was really interested in what you had to say and wanted to work on what you were teaching her. He then went on to comment, some children at that age, they kind of lose their attention and look around, but she was hanging on to every word. In other words, Emma knew how to listen and follow instructions. I've not been quite so good at that. I think it's a trait that I inherited from my late mother. I loved her dearly, but she never followed instructions, directions or recipes. When concentrated washing powder first appeared in shops, she fed the washing machine with the same amount of snowy white granules as unconcentrated, resulting in a seriously frothy kitchen with us kids sloshing around in suds up to our armpits. And my mother was rather sniffy about recipes too, preferring to trust her own culinary instincts, which would have been fine if she'd had any culinary instincts. Some of the dishes she created missed their calling because they were so gut-wrenchingly awful, I thought they might have been weaponized. Concerns about any foreign military capability would have been resolved easily if my mum had been let loose with a cooker and an apron. The mere threat of her custard would have brought any aggressor to their knees immediately, which would have been great, except that the custard itself would still pose its own nuclear threat. All of which makes me wonder if my own disdain for directions and following instructions is inherited. When driving and lost, which happens frequently, and Siri is ignoring me, which has happened a lot this last month, I think she's going through a rough patch, I resort to the ancient practice of pulling over to ask a stranger for some directional assistance. This begins well enough, but as they described the fourth turning on the left after the second traffic light just past the dog and duck, I get really bored with listening and switch off while nodding appreciatively. Perhaps sensing my inattention, the kindly stranger then repeats the entire list of directions again, which again goes in one ear and out the other. And there's yet more evidence for my disregard for instructions. Recently we purchased a new TV and so I asked the salesperson, who was apparently nine years old, if I would be able to set the TV up without assistance. Sir, of course! 
replied the grinning pre-adolescent, and then added, any idiot could set this TV up. And so I struggled for three hours, pausing occasionally for seasons of muttering. What did I mutter? It was, oh, hallelujah, or something like that. I'm not just any idiot, it seems. I'm a total idiot. All of this has led me to consider breaking the genealogical chain by taking up reading, digesting, and following instructions. That resolve could apply to life more broadly. The Bible is loaded with wisdom provided by God for our direction, and not just as fodder to enlarge our information banks. Following directions and instructions requires humility. And again, people around the world have celebrated Emma's humility in her victory. The starting point is the acknowledgement for us that we need God's help, followed by a readiness to respond and obey. As veteran American broadcaster Ted Koppel wisely mused, what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai were not ten suggestions, they are commandments. When it comes to following instructions, don't be like my mother, rather follow the advice of Jesus' mother instead. To the servants at a wedding in Cana, Mary said, do whatever he tells you. Sadly, my commitment to read and obey instructions has been rather short-lived. Recently, we brought an item of furniture, a cupboard, which required self-assembly. True to form, I ignored the instructions, but triumphantly completed the assembly in record time for me, just two hours of sweat and muttering instead of the usual three hours. And I'm pleased to report that I only have one minor item left over as the assembly was completed. It was a door. Lessons from Emma's triumph. Emma Raducanu, who found victory at the US Open. We've thought about discipline and then giving attention to instructions. Let's end this by saying that wonderful encouragement followed not only from news sources all over the world, but also from Her Majesty the Queen. She posted a message on the Royal Family website and she said, I send my congratulations to you on your success in winning the United States Open Tennis Championships. It's a remarkable achievement at such a young age and is testament to your hard work and dedication. I have no doubt that your outstanding performance and that of your opponent, Leila Fernandez, will inspire the next generation of tennis players. And so, Emma Raducanu, well done. You've been a model of discipline, attentiveness and humility and success. And now, rightly, you're being cheered on from around the world. Well done to you. See you next time, everybody. Lucas on Life.